Thank you so much. Hey, why don't you grab a seat, give somebody a kiss when you're doing it, and uh, <clears throat> hope, uh, hope somebody recorded that intro because I need to play it to my wife and tell her how good I am, and uh, it'll be absolutely brilliant. But it's so good to be here with you. I reckon um, I was here for a pastor's thing last year, but I think it's been about 15 years apart from that since I was in the Hawke's Bay. Um, which is too long, I know, but I've been busy in Canterbury, and uh, you need to know that we need Jesus in Canterbury. So, um, But uh, it is great to be back here and to be part of what God is doing here in the church. How many love your pastors, Pastor Dave and Kate? Aren't they fantastic people and uh, just absolute legends? And, you know, I mean, for us, watching what God is doing here in the church and just seeing uh, the transition from one generation to another and Obviously, Pastors Mike and Joy have been a big part of our lives as well, and just so grateful for God and the way that He can build through generations. And, you know, it's no, no coincidence the Bible says I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as He just builds greater things. And, and how many know there's the great breakthrough really came in Jacob's generation as the other generations sowed in, and then God did something significant. And such a great privilege to be a part of it and to be here with the church. Um, Dave was... Uh, Dave and I were just reminiscing on when we ran the Breakthrough Conference here, and uh, we had Pastor Jürgen Matesis here, and he, he had broken his Achilles tendon. He fell down the front stairs. Isn't it funny how you don't remember the great things, you can't remember the bad, but uh, you know, I just never forget the feeling in my stomach when he fell down the stairs and thinking, I hope he hasn't broken it again, but he hadn't. Praise God. And uh, it is absolutely brilliant to be here. And hey, thanks for coming out on a Saturday night too, because... Um, you know, it's, it's, that's really committed in terms of leadership. Um, I moved to Christchurch in 2007. Um, we're from, we've been, as Dave said, living in Auckland up until that point and arrived to start the first ever campus of Arise Church. Arise had up until that point been in the city of Wellington, had grown to, um, I don't know, something around, around or maybe just over about a thousand people in Wellington. We moved into, into Christchurch and started there the first ever campus of Arise and have been on this amazing journey over the last 12 years as God has put His hand on our church and on our lives and we've seen Him do significant things from what was really humble beginnings. I mean, when, when Pastor John Gillian started in Wellington, it was literally seven people and a dream. Uh, I was at the first service. In fact, I mixed sound and people came back the next week despite the fact that they were totally deaf at the end of that service, but, uh, you know, and, and everything wrong was in the mix. But, you know, we, we survived that beginning and we got a proper sound guy and uh, we've continued to grow forward and God has done the most amazing things from very humble beginnings, but He's placed His hand on our church. And as Dave was saying, one of the key things of our church has been uh, young adult ministries and, and raising up young people and seeing the amazing harvest that God is bringing into His church from the universities that we're connected with across the country from those days. We're now uh, in eight physical locations and just seeing God do amazing things as we continue to see His church grow and move forward. My role has shifted as is all of our team. I now I still live in Christchurch, but I oversee all of our campuses. And, um, you know, I was literally working out today as I was sitting on a plane that I will sleep t this month uh, more outside of Canterbury than I will in my own bed. Uh, and uh, just God is just doing amazing things as His church continues to grow. And I want to share with you tonight um, across these two sessions 
on one theme, but it's going to sound very different. But in our, in our church, one of the things that we felt like God spoke to us about is that uh, God is love. Can I get an amen in the church tonight? God is love. And, and yet in the church, we haven't always broken that down to understand what kind of behaviors does that require of me if I'm going to replicate what God has called me to be. Um, you know, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love each other. And yet, John 3.16, we could all quote it out the wazoo, can't we, you know? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. But we haven't always asked ourselves a question that if our loving God turned up in our world and He behaved in certain ways, what were the behaviors that Jesus uh, replicated or Jesus triumphed for us, patterned for us, that we should then replicate in our lives? And particularly as leaders here tonight, be asking the question, how should I live? What should I do that is different from maybe how everybody else lives that can show the love of God to people and in so doing cause the church to grow and reach more people as a result. Does anybody think that would be a good idea? So uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of John chapter number one. We're going to be reading from verses 35 to 42. And we're going to look at how Jesus lived his life and, uh, and how Jesus was doing things. Now, just something you should know, I grew up in a large family and in my family, uh, as Dave's already said, my brother is a preacher, I'm a preacher. My sister uh, is, is currently, her and her husband are in Costa Rica, they're missionaries over there. Uh, everybody's loud in my family, everybody. So when we were at the kitchen table eating dinner as a small kid, the only reason the room ever went quiet, actually Carolyn's over here was part of our world when I was a small child. And uh, you know, the only reason the kitchen kitchen table ever went quiet was because one of us was in trouble. And in order, that was always me as well. You know, it was always like I was going to now, you know, and I was raised old school, anybody else old school, you know, and, and so there was only one way of dealing with a child who was bad. And, you know, we had Winnie the Whale, we had the wooden spoon, we had all manner of implements uh, to deal with these behaviors. So what I found is even as an adult now, and I'm getting old, but as I've, as I've gotten older, whenever a room goes quiet, I always feel nervous and I always start to protect uh, where, the, where the, the seat of learning in my life. And so, you know, I just need you, as we're talking tonight, to be talking back to me. Don't, don't be quiet and uh, conservative but just talk to me and let me know. If you think I say something good, you can say that's good, or you can say amen, you can say preach it, white boy, you can say whatever you like. Uh, just, just let me know that I'm doing all right. You, you good with me? Fantastic. John 1.35, it says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples who were with him heard this, they follow Jesus. I mean, they're literally like, peace, John. You're the yesterday's news. So, so Jesus looked around and he saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. I don't know why they can't just translate that in the Bible. Has anybody ever asked why when we know that Rabbi means teacher, don't we just write teacher? Uh, they said, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, 
Simon. And he told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And again, why can't you just translate it the first time? But then Andrew, Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus. Here's, here's the most amazing story. And I want, you to, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus for a moment and think about what actually happened. And, and then begin to try and think about what this means for us as leaders. I want you to notice that Jesus is walking along and he suddenly becomes aware of the fact that there are two new guys that he's never met before who are following him. I mean, in the modern world, we would call these stalkers. I mean, he doesn't know who they are, but they are following him. They're, they're walking along and he's like, who the heck is this guy? And that guy, they're on either side and they look scary. He thinks probably he's about to get mugged. I don't know what he's thinking, but he turns around the Bible says, and he says to these guys, what is it that you want? What are you following me for? Why are you in our church foyer? Why have you turned up to church this Sunday? And these guys ask a question of which I reckon every person who turns up to our church on a Sunday morning is asking exactly the same questions that these guys are asking. They ask him this question, where do you live? What, where do you stay? Put it another way. What's life like with you? Have you got space in your world that I could become part of your inner circle? Are you here and you're preaching a message from a stage, singing a song in a congregation, and then you're to walk out the door and there's no interaction, there's no way that I can access relationship? Or are you here, Jesus, the Son of God? Can I experience what it is to have a relationship with you? This is Jesus in the story modeling for us what love looks like when God puts skin on and enters into our world. This is what God is saying to us from this passage. The first thing He's saying, I want you to notice, is that Jesus took the time to spend with people. He took the time and He spent it on people. Now, notice the Bible's really clear, and we can easily skip over this, but it says that when He meets these guys, it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. I mean, I don't know what else he had scheduled. I don't know what was popping up on his reminders of his iPhone calendar telling him he had to be other places. But I know this is that Jesus met these guys first time he had ever met them and he had space to bring them into his world and say, hey, why don't you come with me? Why don't we go and have some food together? Let's experience relationship together. You can know where I live. You can experience my life. You can be part of my world. Jesus took time and he, sp and he spent it on people. The second thing, that I notice is the time that Jesus invested in people began to resolve the questions in their heart. I mean, what a thought that because of just this moments or this afternoon's interaction, we have this guy, Andrew, going to find his brother, Simon, and he's saying, what we have always wondered might happen in our lives has just happened. I found the Messiah. I found the Christ. The questions that was in his heart and in his life, the most pertinent thing, he never asked Jesus, but having relationship with Jesus answered the central question of his life. How many people walk into churches on a Sunday 
wondering if Jesus is the answer, walk out the door having had no interaction with any person that would suggest that God really loves them, and so they never walk back in. But when we are prepared to invest time in people, there is something that says God is the answer for what you're facing in your life. Because he spent time with them, they felt connected to him and to his mission. They felt like we can be a part of this thing and we can move this thing forward. Then I noticed that because he had spent time with them, they embodied the values of the mission. I mean, you literally got a guy going out. Nobody, he hasn't been to an evangelism class and yet he's going to find his brother to tell him that you've got to come and be a part of this thing. He's literally sharing the gospel before the gospel was even kind of in a way that you could share it. But he was really sharing what had happened in his heart. He was sharing what had happened in his life because he had encountered God and something had shifted in who he was. And he's saying, you've got to come with me and you've got to experience this thing. And because he was able to embody the values of the mission, he also connected other people to that mission. And here's what I know about leadership is that leadership is about finding people and bringing them on a journey. And because Jesus had these guys and they were able to access His inner world, they began to go forward and connect with the values and the mission and to move it forward. And this is the thing is that as people walk into our churches, they're asking exactly the same questions that these guys asked Jesus. They're asking, what's life like with you? They're asking, can I, can I spend the day with you? Is there space here for me? Boil it all down. What they're really asking is, can I be part of the family here? Can I belong here? Can I walk into this place and experience God's love in my life week after week, moment after moment, on the journey as I'm moving forward? And for many people, you know what that's going to take? I mean, for most people, love, for a lot of people, love is spelled T-I-M-E, just time. And for us as leaders, you know what that's going to mean? It means that we're going to have to sacrifice some of our time and say, I'm going to invest it into these people who are arriving. And you know what we call that in the kingdom? It's just simply called relational discipleship. It's saying, I've got time that I am going to give to people so that they will experience the love of God. If you take your notes, write this down. If there is no room for new people in my life, the church will not grow. There's no room for new people. The moment that I determine in my heart that I will no longer pay the price of relational discipleship is the moment that I shut the doors of the church to growth and to new people experiencing Jesus as their Savior on an ongoing basis. In our, in our church, we created many years ago, we created this thing called Hangouts. Um, a Hangout is literally a place where people have the opportunity to hang out. Um, I know that's deep, you know, and it's in the Greek, you know, it's a hangout, which means hanging out, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, because the Bible translators never do that, you know. The rabbi means Messiah. It's like, what that? No, it doesn't. It means teacher. But anyway, they, um, I'm getting it wrong. But here's the thing is that for us, we created after the back of every service a space or, or an activity or something because we wanted people to be able to hang out and we would make sure that our leaders were connected with us. And then we realized something. There's a problem that can happen so easily in life where what, when a verb becomes a noun. 
when what we do becomes what we say we do. When we, instead of saying, hey, listen, this is an action that I'm going to embody as a leader, it becomes a name of an event that we're not doing the action any longer. And it's so easy for us to come to church and have that as being a noun and not as a verb. I don't go to church because there's a name over the door. I go to church because I'm there to be the church. And the church is there to be the hope of the world. It's there to bring the love of God and the love of Jesus in the life of every person who walks in the door and the way that people experience God's love, the Bible says that God's love is shed abroad through our hearts, through our hearts. So in other words, I've got to, in my life, create enough space that people are going to have access to my heart when I'm relating with them in a church foyer, when I'm sitting beside someone that I've never met and I have to take that moment to open up my heart and connect with this person. We must be committed to a relational approach to ministry. I mean, without relationship, the kingdom just doesn't work. When you, when you think about what Jesus did, when He arrived on earth, Jesus, His disciples come to Him. They ask Him. The only question that, that we record in, his, in, in the whole thing is, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. They understood something about the power of prayer right there. I think we should all realize that. And Jesus broke all the rules. I mean, before Jesus came, you had all these names for God describing what God was like, but you could never say God's name. So you had Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Nissi, banner my righteousness, all these kinds of things. Jehovah witnessed to God and knocks on the door on a Saturday afternoon. All these kinds of different ways of describing God. And Jesus just turns up and he goes, hey, this is how we're going to pray. Our Father, Father. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, we've been describing all this way of what God is like, but let me just take all those words and summate them in one word. God is a father. Now, here's the thing. If God is a father, then the kingdom is a family because fathers, are, that's, not, that's not a positional word. That's a relational word. You're, you're a father because of how you relate to people. And if, they, if God is a father, then the kingdom is all about relationship. And so we need to understand that without relationships, the kingdom doesn't work. It is about that. It is not about tears and hierarchy. It is about family, and therefore it is about connected relationship. And so when we're talking about people, we're talking about people who have an opportunity to enter into the family of God and into the family of our church. And so we have to have loving people as our most important value of all of our values, connecting with people and loving them so that we can example what Jesus did for us. Are you with me tonight? I want you to also notice that concerning the harvest, concerning people who are outside the walls of our church who are not saved, Jesus made two statements and in neither of these statements did He ask for the harvest to come in. But this is what He said. First thing he said, they asked, when he praying, he asked God that he, he would open our eyes for the harvest is ripe. It's John chapter 4 and verse 35. He says, hey, don't say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest right now. And I want to encourage everybody who's here, stop waiting for something that is here right now. 
There are too many people who are waiting for an end time revival. But I've got to tell you, my friend, people are getting saved in their droves right now. It's not about waiting. I mean, I, I, I mean, we're challenging our church all the time about a four-month mentality. Oh, in four months, it'll be this. And in the future, I'll do that. Well, one day, God's going to call me this. No, God is about here and now. Have a look in the Bible. How many times? 1,200 times the word now is in the Bible. We're going to live in the now. God is a God who said, I am, not I will be in order. I was. I am. He is centered and very much in the now. Jesus said, I'm praying that you would open their eyes right now. The